AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. It's Tuesday, April 5th. I'm Oscar Ramirez from the Daily Dive podcast in Los Angeles, and this is Reopening America. There's an estimated 7.7 to 23 million people that might have had long COVID. In an effort to find root causes and treatments, patients suffering from these prolonged symptoms are joining with researchers to come up with answers. While that might seem like a given, that is not the usual partnership in place when studying diseases. Francis Steed Sellers, senior writer at the Washington Post, joins us for how long COVID is changing medical research. Thanks for joining us, Francis. Glad to be with you. Well, let's talk about long COVID and the research that's going on around it. The pandemic, thankfully, finally, right, everything seems to be kind of calming down at the moment, at least here in the United States. People are kind of moving on. Things are all really opening back up. Restrictions are going down. And a lot of researchers are starting to turn their attention more intensely to long COVID. What causes it, the treatments for it, things like that. And what's happening right now in all this research is that patients who are experiencing this are getting a lot more involved in the process. So, Francis. Tell us what's going on with this. Yeah, so this is really a little bit of a change from the typical top-down, expert-driven process that you see in clinical trials. Generally, it's the researchers, people who are typically from major academic medical centers, come along with ideas or hypotheses that are testing. And patients are often volunteers. They show up at big medical centers. They hand over their samples or their blood tests or whatever it is they need to show up for. And they're, they're playing pretty much by the, the expert's rules. If you think about long COVID, there were no experts. There were many experts in different areas. So there were cardiologists who were seeing it. There were neurologists who were seeing it. There are nephrologists, those are kidney experts who are seeing it. There are people who've been trying to figure out what chronic fatigue syndrome or MECFS was, but there was no particular expert for long COVID. So in a way, a movement that was already underway, a patient-driven involvement in research has come to the fore now. 
and patients, patient advocacy groups who've found each other online and are putting a lot of real-time data online about what it means to have long COVID have linked up with some of these academic leaders and are working together to try and find some answers. You know, to your point about there were no experts in long COVID, right? We've all been kind of experiencing this as we go. And you mentioned in the article, too, uh, you know, one of these groups that are working on this and they have about 200,000 members. Researchers were barely able to identify a lot of the common themes in their descriptions of the symptoms. You know, so not everybody has the same symptoms when they have long COVID. Uh, there could we be some commonality. Right. We don't know what long COVID is, in effect. Um, right. We know that a lot of people are suffering. Some of the cases could be neurodegenerative impacts that, that actually weren't to do with long COVID. Somebody was going downhill with something that wasn't recognized and then they got COVID and come out of it. Others, we seem to see a, a clearer link between the, the, the acute illness and then these sequelae as they're caused in medicine. But there's a lot that we need to find out. What's very clear is an awful lot of people are suffering. And, you know, we're talking about millions of people. And you mentioned that we seem to be going into a karma period. We're also not trying anymore to pretend that we're going to get rid of COVID. So if we live with COVID and if a certain percentage of people get these symptoms after having had acute COVID, we may be facing long COVID for years, decades, yeah. I don't know how long to come. <laughs> right. And we need to know what that public health burden is going to be and also how to help people if possible to prevent it and if we and pe if people get it to treat it before it turns into some of the very extreme symptoms we've seen in a small minority of people. So getting the patients involved in all this is a good thing. We're starting to kind of figure it out a little bit more, but the priorities are different for all these groups, even uh, for the patients, right? They want immediate treatments. They're the ones that are going through it and uh, having a tough time with yeah. it. So that's what they want. And, you know, researchers are still kind of looking further ahead, but so, so even the priorities are different once you get patients involved. Absolutely. And there are some very good things. I think if you go back to AIDS, you will see that that was an early point of activism when patients came in and said, um, we're willing to take risks, which sometimes researchers are not always willing to impose on people. You know, right? A patient may say, this is so awful that I'm willing to take such and such a drug, even if it has risks associated with it. So patients come in with all sorts of different priorities. Patients will say to some researchers, you know, I have so much fatigue, I can't do, I can't fill out a survey of the kind you're acquiring of me. They may have priorities in terms of wanting therapies more quickly, more quickly than describing the full uh, phenotypes. So there's a lot going on here. It's a partnership is what we're hoping for, right, where these differing priorities can work together. One of the huge studies that's going on is the NIH study, which does, you know, on its website, embrace patient perspectives. But it's epidemiological. It's looking at the big patterns. And it's going to take four years before, well, it's a four-year study. They'll probably spin off some clinical trials more quickly. But it's a big project. And it may bring answers to really perplexing issues like chronic fatigue, yeah. fatigue syndrome, which has perplexed people for such a long time. Yeah, Congress uh, allotted the National Institutes of Health uh, over a billion dollars for this four-year initiative. And, you know, when we look yeah. at how many people have long COVID, the government estimates anywhere between 7.7 .7 million to 23 million people may have already had long COVID. So there's a lot of people in this group. And, you know, while the patients might want something quick, it is going to be tough to come up with some quick answers. But who else is working on uh, these types of studies? Because there's universities involved, all sorts of things. 
There are universities with some private funding for some of these online efforts. So we've got the full range, really. I mean, patient groups are so interesting at the moment because they do gather so much information online. Uh, Facebook groups gather information online, and you could see it as exploiting patients in some ways to use that material if you don't have the patient's permission. But there's a huge effort, too, to do this in a very responsible partnering way between academics and the patient groups that are gathering this information. So we're seeing the full range from private investment to National National Institutes of Health and some foundation investment too. Well, what a crazy thought to get patients involved in all this, I guess. (laughs) You know, it's a good thing that we're doing this. As we mentioned, they're the ones going through it. And with something so new, you kind of need their help to bridge that gap so that we can look to the right thing and study the right things. I think this is a movement that's, that's sort of meeting its time. It was there before researchers have recognized that we need to have patients as partners. And this is one of those moments where COVID has sort of accelerated a trend that was already in the works. Francis Steed Sellers, senior writer at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this has been Reopening America. Don't forget... That for today's big news stories, you can check me out on the Daily Dive podcast every Monday through Friday. So follow us on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. 